Thank you for joining us for the Covered in Dust message series from Journey Church in Bozeman, Montana. In this series, we're exploring what discipleship means for us in the context of community. Let's tune in. Well, good morning, and we're on our third part of a series on Covered in Dust. It comes from a phrase about the disciples following behind Jesus and covered in the dust as disciples covered in the dust of the Master as they walk along the road. Our theme today is community, and it's exciting to talk about this theme. Bob Schwann has brought the message the last two weeks, and I, I told him I think they are some of the most dynamic messages on discipleship I have ever heard in my life, and I've been in this business 45 years. In fact, his illustration last week of Jesus standing by the side of the road trying to communicate to us as we drive by at 70 70 miles an hour, now some of you 85 miles an hour, and we crack the window just a bit to hear him. I said, that is so profound, it's got to be one of the best illustrations I have ever heard in my life. And if you haven't heard it, you need to get on the website. And I'm not normally so directive, but you need to get on the website. We are a Lone Ranger society. And discipleship is about community. No man is an island. And we love the Lone Ranger. And we love John Wayne. Sociological surveys show that we are the most independent culture in the world. And we have been that way. For decades. Now lest you think I'm going to talk to you about something I got nailed down, I'm going to tell you that I am the least likely person to talk about community. I'm a Norwegian German. My idea of raising my hands in worship is like this. I can hardly get it above my belt. Not only that, I'm an introvert. And I love to talk to one person or a thousand people, but put me in a room with six, and once I get past the antlers on the wall and the weather outside, I'm, I'm, I'm working for topics. <laughs> Not only that, when I take surveys about my work style, here's the phrase that comes up, works alone for the group. And number four, like all of you, I've not only sinned, I've been sinned against. And so for much of my life, I believe somewhere in the recesses of my spirit that the fundamental result of any deep relationship would be two things. I would either be rejected or hurt. So when I read stuff about community, I don't get all gooey inside. If you ask me the journey of my life, I'd tell you that in the last five years of my life, the single journey the Lord has had me on is how to let people in to my life. And he's made it pretty clear that he's put up with my independence for about 60 years, and now he's done. And if I want to follow him into the next level, I had to learn how to let people be part of my life. So this is a very personal topic to me. And already some of you are nervous. Because we hold a lot of who we are very close to the vest. 
And when we do that, we rob ourselves and we rob others of the activity of God in our lives. So that's kind of where we're headed this morning. And we're going to look at some scriptures to help us out as we begin. And uh, here's the first one, Ecclesiastes 4.12. This is great. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Let's look at another one. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now you may have trouble, as we look at this third one, you may, you may not have any trouble imagining that you need people, but you have trouble imagining people need you. Well, let's look at this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the, hand cannot, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now you, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. All through scripture, the primary metaphor God uses for who we are together is relational. God the Father, God the Son. One of the first acts of God was the act of marriage with Adam and Eve. He calls us a family. He says we are a community. Again and again, it is a relational dynamic. When the church, off of feeding off of the Enlightenment, began to intellectualize unduly the Christian experience it isolated us from one another because the Christian walk became primarily intellectual. So let's look at four aspects of, uh, of community this morning. Now, I suspect that after you notice the title of the first one, Living in Community, A Narrative of Life from North Dakota, you're going to want to rush out, get on your cell phones, call your friends, and say, you got to get here, he's talking about North Dakota. Well, maybe not quite that dramatic, but I grew up in northwestern North Dakota. And by accident, I learned what community was. Because I grew up around all my aunts and uncles, all my cousins. Within 20 miles, there were seven aunts and uncles from the Long family who migrated from Indiana over to northwest North Dakota. And so all the way through my life, there was this community activity that I was almost unconscious of and only now began to understand. We didn't have enough kids in high school to have a football team. In North Dakota, for the small schools with no football, they would have baseball programs in the fall and spring. We ran out of pitchers one year, 
And so the first, the first game I ever pitched in high school, my Uncle Rube was there, even though he was an old man and not in good health. If you remember the movie um, where they pick up Archie Graham, who's going through the Midwest to play baseball in Field of Dreams, my Uncle Rube moved all, all around the Midwest pitching baseball to support his family in the Depression. He is in the North Dakota Sports Hall of Fame for pitching. And so he showed up. I remember that. I lost 8-4, to four, but nevertheless, he was there. When my dad went in for, to have a stint put in, and they found out the problem was far more serious, and he had quadruple bypass surgery in Minot, North Dakota, unexpected, created great stress for my mom. I remember being in his, being in his hospital room, and around the corner came the Allards. The Allards were our relatives. We lived two miles from the Allards. And I remember the inexplicable surprise that I got tears in my eyes when I saw the Allards. Because they were there to care for us. And at 11.30 at night, only a mile away where, where my cousin Donald lived, I remember us being under an automobile, changing out a transmission because in our family, all the, all the relatives were always over at somebody else's house fixing something. And they could fix anything, except televisions. <laughs> and when my first cousin Eloise got pregnant out of wedlock, and I was a teenager, and I came in the door of our house, and there was Eloise sitting with my mom. And my mom was talking to her about life. Now, in the early 60s, in North Dakota, there was a lot of stigma to that. But in our family... No matter how much stigma, we took care of each other. And even in the church world, there are sins with no stigma and sins with stigma. Like you get a group together and say, well, where are you failing? And, and, and someone will say, well, you know, I should pray more. Really. Anybody here who thinks they shouldn't pray more? Not much risk in that. But you get a group of men together and they go around sharing shallow like that and then one guy says, you know, you could pray for me because I'm being defeated by sensual literature. Now the atmosphere in that room changes. Just as it just changed in this room. Because you and I know there are sins of no stigma and there are sins of stigma. But if you're a family and you live 20 miles from one another, there, are, there, there may be sins of stigma and sins of no stigma, but I'll tell you one thing, there is no unknown sin. Uh, an hour, a mile and a half up the gravel road was my aunt and uncle, Carl and Mark. And my brother had cut his hand, and so my dad put him in the car because he was going to need a lot of stitches and raced the town. So I had to go by Carl and Mark, and the phone rang. And it was my uncle Carl, and I answered, and he said, Oh, you're home. Because he thought I was the one driving past his house. 
65 miles an hour on a gravel road, and he was going to call my dad. <laughs> there are unknown sins. I'll tell you something. There is nothing heavier to carry than a secret. And living in a community where there is no unknown sin is actually a place of great freedom. And when Marlon got cancer, and everybody else had their crops to get in, but all the relatives got together and they cut his fields first. So his family knew that even if hail came, their crops were in the, were in the bin. And on Thanksgiving, when my grandmother, whom I grew up about 150 feet from, made homemade noodle soup and all the families would come together. She said, well, what does this have to do with spirituality? You'll be amazed at how often Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned in the New Testament. And Jesus' hangout friends, Jesus just, he had social friends. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were where he hung out. I believe in one translation it shows him playing Rook. Though I doubt he ever played Monopoly. Because even Jesus didn't have that much time. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that was... <laughs> um, So without even knowing it, I grew up with a set of values. Nobody taught them to me. Do you know that they found out that the way that uh, children cherish reading is not because their parents read to them, it's how many books their parents own? So I have a whole set of values that just came from that, like my family values work. All my kids worked. They all worked when they were going to college. They worked in the summers. My family works. And we value work. We value sacrificing for others and for neighbors. We value helping people. We put people over possessions. We value play. There was never a time when our relatives would get together that we weren't playing at something. Either whist or we were all out playing softball. That was part of our culture. And so it is with our spiritual family. You see, all of us have a family of birth, but if we have goals that are spiritual goals, we also have to have a family of choice. And one doesn't take the place of the other. But I have certain people in my life who are part of my spiritual family because I have certain spiritual goals. And I need people like that in my life if I'm going to answer the call of God in my life. So I have, I have a family of birth and I have a family of choice. And so living in community gives me principles that energize our lives. Jesus chose 12. And while he, while he ministered to the multitudes, and many times without, without expectation, he just ministered to them. He didn't ask anything of them. He didn't take them the next step. He didn't do anything. He catches the woman. He talks to the woman caught in adultery. And when the whole thing's done, all he says is, well, I don't condemn you either, but, but don't do this again. That's all he says. 
But he chose people to hang out with. And when we're in a community, then there are certain things that happen. One is values. I pick up values. Like one of our values at Journey Church is Imago Dei. Basically, Imago Dei means there, is no, there are no unimportant people. The Bible says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who comes to Christ than, than the 99 that are already in the fold. There are no unimportant people. The value of identity. I got frustrated with the church and I quit my job and I moved to England and I started working on a PhD and for six months I didn't go to church because I wasn't quite sure what to do. Finally, as the Lord spoke to my heart, I started going. I thought, I'm just going to go to the closest church there is. Well, it was a church of England, an Anglican church down the street, built in 1865, surrounded by a cemetery just like you see in the movies. No heat. Talk about, you know, seeker-friendly. I mean, everybody bundled up in November in Birmingham and heavy coats. And there wasn't a lot about the service that was great to me except this. As they read the scripture, they would come every Sunday to this point. The organ would play, and then it would change keys, and then there would be the announcement. And now, and now hear the reading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the priest would come down off the stage and he'd walk halfway down the middle aisle. And two men holding candlesticks would come down. And one man holding this massive Bible. And from that place of prominence among the community, they would read the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for whatever else was going on in my life, I knew that was who I was. I was a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I get value and identity, purpose, and support. In fact, to illustrate it, I'm going to ask three of my friends to come up, and they're going to sit here on a chair for about five minutes, and we're going to do this a fun little thing. Now, Ben... Phil and Nels are part of a fledgling missional community which is part of the eventual development of an Eastside campus. And uh, we recently had a meeting down at a wine bar in downtown, uh, in case we wanted communion, in, <laughs> in, <laughs> in uh, downtown Bozeman. There were 15 of us there. My wife and I, there's 15. Now we, and we realized, Marcy and I realized as we looked around, we were the only ones over 60. We actually realized we were the only ones over 50. 40. <laughs> 30. <laughs> but I hang out with these people. They become my friends. So we're, gonna, we're just going to ask four questions and listen in as we talk about community. Ben, how long has 
Being, how has being in relationship with another person or group improved your life? Thanks, Darren. That's a good question. Uh, I think a better question would be how has being, how has it not been, changed my life? How has, have relationships not changed my life? Uh, since I was a child, you know, my intimate family setting, setting me on the right path, um, my college friends teaching me about how to follow Jesus as an adult. Um, but one relationship I want to talk about is my fiance, uh, Courtney. Um, being in an intimate relationship like that has exposed a lot more sin that I uh, didn't think I had. Uh, in those other communities, uh, that I thought I was really, really cool. Um, but it turns out that I wasn't anymore. Um, but in a, in a serious way, being in an intimate relationship like that, about to be married, has just uh, awoken uh, a lot of issues, um, both good and bad, uh, has really brought me closer to God. Um, and I'm really grateful to be part of, of that community uh, and starting a family together and starting, a, hopefully, a generation of righteousness with my family. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Phil, can you tell of a time when you handled a difficult thing better or more wisely because others were in your life? Hmm. I wouldn't say it's one really specific thing, more like my entire college career up to this point. What was it? This is now like my third year in college. And my first year in college, I really started to struggle with like feelings of anxiety and worry just like all the time. The difference between like then and now, though, is now I still struggle with those, but I have those relationships in my life where I can go and I can talk to people and be like, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And in those situations, even if they can't actually make it better, it does me good knowing that there's people out there who know what's going on inside of me and don't just kind of see, you know, the happy smile in me that's always running around. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Phil. Nels, all of us here on stage are just developing a missional community around faith and the arts. Um, what is it about that that's attractive to you? I, get, I guess I get really attracted to just this whole idea of a group of people that are passionate about something and grouping together and in that community. So whether it's somebody that hasn't ever set foot inside a church before or is passionate about building cranes. Like, it, it's, it's cool to me to see a bunch of people together that are passionate about something, and, and that's what I'm attracted to. I love being around people that are excited about what they love doing. Thanks, Nels. If someone were interested in that community, how would they, uh, how would, who would they get in touch with? Well, like, like you were just saying a minute ago, all of us are, are kind of in the, in the process of, of launching this, so... Any of us are, are a great contact point, but we also, we love social media. We're into that whole thing. Uh, if you're under 30 and have a social media page, um, we're, on, we're on Facebook, though. If you look us up on Facebook, it's uh, Mosaic Bozeman. We're also on Instagram, too. Derry, I feel like you're into the Instagram thing, so. Okay. All right. Let's thank him for being here. Yeah. One of the things I love about uh, this age group is that one of their primary approaches to humor is sarcasm. So, uh, <laughs> oh, there's relational work to be done there. Um, <laughs> there are places you can't go if you're not in community. There are things you can't unleash in your life if you're not in a community. I don't say that with judgment. We all get to choose. 
The rich young ruler came to Jesus. Jesus told him what to do. He didn't want to do it. And Jesus honored his choice. He let him go. He didn't run after him. He didn't grab a hold of his leg. He didn't say, well, maybe I said it the wrong way. He let him be. But there are parts of me I can't find unless I'm in community. There are parts of me that I can't use unless I'm in community. Living in community, principles that energize our lives. Let's look at another one. Leadership from community. This is, uh, this is a lot about who we are now. I got a sheet of paper, and on that sheet of paper, it has a series of statements I live by. One of them is, what's obvious to you is obvious to you. What's obvious to me is obvious to me. Here's another one. Bad systems trump good people. So I want to talk to you about a bad system. We are in an industry. There are 400,000 churches in the United States. It's not a well industry. For some years, the evangelical or the more conservative side of that industry has prided itself that even though as the industry itself weakens, the evangelical part or the more conservative part thrives. But even that is no longer true. 80% of all churches in America are either static or in decline. The average congregation in America is about 75. Leading the evangelical world in its growth was the Southern Baptists, who are now in decline, and who are now in the process of laying off 1,000 missionaries. 25% of their entire missionary force, because the church either cannot or will not any longer support them. I was once a conference superintendent where I oversaw leaders. We always had trouble getting insurance. An insurance agent told me once there was almost no group other than those carnival riders that ride motorcycles around in a wire cage. No group worse to insure than people in full-time Christian work. Because of the level of stress, an expectation they live under. And lest you and I think that if, if you're part of a big, energizing church, that's not true, I'll tell you the underbelly. That is, that in most of the large churches of America, the staff runs on empty, absolutely Without all, with, almost without exception, running with a level of exhaustion that no organization should tolerate. We have found the underbelly weakness of the large church, and it is transitioned. The large church becomes personality-oriented, and I have a sheet of paper, and I will honor those churches by not going through it, because many of them are great churches, but I'll tell you, one great church after another, many of which you would recognize is struggling because of the individual model of church leadership where we have some messianic leader who we love and they're supposed to lead a large, complex organization 
exhibiting every skill from preaching to leadership to pastoral care to administration. The evidence is overwhelming that model is broken. So Journey Church, we came up with an idea that is not ours. We went to the Global Leadership Summit like many of you do and we heard a speaker who was part of a leadership team. Unheard of. We want to follow John Wayne over the hill. We want to follow the... But you know, I come from a farming community. Do you know what summer follow is? In the old days, <laughs> in the old days in North Dakota, if you wanted to farm a thousand eight, uh, 500 acres, you had to have 1,000 because... You planted 500 and then you left another 500 fallow because the ground couldn't handle it every year, planting every year, and then you just tilled it and kept the weeds off of it. But you know that today, they farm 80 to 90% of the land every year because they changed their methods. And just as that happens in farming, so that happens in our work, and so we're changing our methods. And they're... Any method can have its weaknesses, but there are all kinds of benefits. So we have a leadership team. We don't have just one person. Because of that, I believe they can stay healthier. They can get wiser, because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. They can stay more honest. Nah, I'm going to tell you the inside again. I, I traffic in this industry. University presidents are my friends. And leaders at the top have a weakness, and it is this. They believe in reality by declaration. They think so often, just because they say it, it's true. And you know why they think that? Because they often don't let themselves be in a team that says, well, what about this piece of information? <laughs> that doesn't seem to fit. You get in a team where iron sharpens iron and you've got to start explaining yourself. Somebody might say, yeah, but how about vision? There's no reason an individual on a team can't hear from the Lord and make a visionary statement. It's just that on a team, that vision has to answer questions. And if it's a vision from the Lord, it can answer questions. So, we have a team. Because we believe in community. Let's finish with this. You and I might think that spirituality, the stronger I get spiritually, the more I can function by myself, is just the opposite. The stronger you are spiritually, the more you learn to lean on other people. You learn to be in community. Walter Funk came to our missional community group. You're doing a project at the university, and you talked about all the lonely people they were doing in interviews who desperately wanted someone to talk to. When Jesus was in his most desperate moment in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross, he did not go it alone. He brought his disciples there and then he asked his three closest disciples to come even further with him and to tarry with him as he prayed. My goodness, if Jesus himself felt the need for other people, So as we finish this morning...
If a German Norwegian who's an introvert and who believes people will either reject me or hurt me if I get involved with them and who rather works alone on a team, if he can learn at 60 years old to start doing it Jesus' way because Jesus has a better idea, I can tell you there's nobody in this room because you know something else about a German-Norwegian? They're stubborn. There's nobody who's come in here this morning that isn't fighting a battle somewhere. The gospel is the gospel that in your place of need, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth. And he died. He died for you and me, and he rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in community with the Father and with us, the Bible says, interceding for us by name. And urging us not to go it alone. To let somebody else in. Well, let's set our things aside. And I want you to bow your heads with me. And Could I ask you today if you came into this room going it alone the beginning step the beginning step of a relationship is opening your life up to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ says I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and I'll have fellowship, relationship, community with them and they with me. And this morning you can say, Lord, I've been going this alone and I'm sorry. And even though there's fear in my heart about doing it, and even this feeling of stigma of responding. I want to say yes to you and I want to invite you into my heart. And if that's the prayer of your heart, we're going, to, we're going to wait for just a moment and you just pray a prayer like that. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.